Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly, Jason Rudy. And as you've been watching and listening and observing, like I have, Lady Hyde is on 2B now. To be or not to be, I'd say to be. So yeah, it's on 2B TV uh, streaming channel and also on uh, 2BTV.com. It's also on the streaming channel Momitu, M-O-M-E-T-U. Uh, I know they're on Roku and they're on Apple TV and other streaming services. They're not on Amazon Fire Stick though, so I will say that. And they're also online. And possibly by the time this hits the air or soon thereafter, maybe December at the latest, it will be on Amazon Prime. And the film after that, uh, film, I think it's 15, is uh, Emmanuel in Sin City. And that is completed as we speak. I just uh, finished up editing it and uh, going over the last cut. Got all the sound in, all the Foley, all that good stuff. That'll be premiering in January. Uh, date is yet to be determined, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be the second half of January of 2023. And that will have its big premiere in Sacramento, California at the Dreamland Cinema. So make your plans now for being at Sacramento, California for the Dreamland Cinema premiere of Emmanuel in Sin City. Probably play at least two showings, so maybe two different days. We'll iron out that and see how we go. But yeah, we want a good demand of tickets so we can increase the screenings. So we want we want to pack the house, so which shouldn't be hard. And finally, uh, we are in production currently. We're about, as I record this podcast, we're about four days in on um, film 16, she knows Ferratu, and uh, it's a vampire film by myself, uh, written directed by myself with um, a good cast. Uh, Jessica Dardarian is returning for a third film with me, and also bringing in a uh, quite a few new faces into the Desperate Visions universe. So that's always a good thing. You always got to have fresh blood, uh, and uh, with a vampire film, fresh blood's always good. But uh, yeah, been liking what I've been seeing so far. Uh, good, good cast, good crew. Uh, so yeah, it's making my job a little easier. So uh, right around this holiday season. So for today, this being film one, I'm sorry, episode one seventeen, film one eighteen. A and B, and sometimes C, is um, El Fundamento de la Casa Usher. And that would be also known as the Fall of the House of Usher, or the Crimes of Usher, or Neurosis, as there's three versions of this film. Version 1 is Spain, 1982. Version 2 was released and made in Spain, 1984. Final version 3 in France, 1988. Original theatrical title in country of origin, El Hundamento de la Casa Usher, The Fall of the House of Usher. Version 2, Les Criminis de Usher, The Crimes of Usher. And version 3, which is the version available on Blu-ray, is Neurosis, or Neurosi, French Neurosis. Alternate titles, of which there are many. Uh, let's see, La Chute de la Maison Achille, Neurosis, export title. Neurosis, The Fall of the House of Usher, the export title with additional video-generated subtitle. That's the version that's on uh, Redemption right there. Uh, Revenge in the House of Usher, a U.S. DVD title. I remember seeing that one around back in the day. Um, Aquila de la Casa Usher, Portuguese DVD title, The Fall of the House of Usher. 
Diarath, the houses Usher, the revenge of the house of Usher, and finally Nerosis Uzveta, uh, Yugoslavian Rosis revenge of the house of Usher, the house of Asher. Actually, that's funny. Um, all right, so we got um, producer of this one is Elite Films, version one and version two. And finally, Eurochin Eurocin stepped in on version three out of Paris. Timeline on this: the shooting date, version one, circa November 1982. Uh, and they got their legal number, January of '83. Well, that's about two months later. And then it played the festival screening March 23rd of '83, and it was reviewed in El Pace in March 24th of '83. Then reviewed in ABC Madrid March 25th. 83, so the two reviews two days after. Then the shooting date version 2 was a year later, 1984, no month on that. And shooting date version 3, finally 1988, and it's got a French visa issued May of 88, so I assume it would be probably January, February, March. The first version of House of Usher was screened only once at the Imaginific Festival. I have not been able to confirm theatrical screenings for The Crimes of Usher or Neurosis. Uh, Stephen Thor writes here in uh, his book, Flowers of Perversion, Volume 2 of the Films of Jess Franco, which we always get the information from. Uh, let's see here. Uh, intended theatrical running time, Spain, 90 minutes, France, 93 minutes. Uh, video DVD running times, uh, 67.44, the reconstruction print of House of Usher, which I'm going to be watching that, and I'll probably be watching Neurosis as well, and uh, do the differences when I do my review later, um, after the second half. I think I'm going to do this one solo because of the two films and because of my present work schedule, which is going to change. And uh, I want to get this episode done in time, so we stay on our weekly schedule. Um, credits for The House of Usher. Writer-director Jess Franco, executive producer for Elite, Rogelio Lopez Fernandez. Director of photography, Jess Franco, camera assistant, Enrique Diaz. Production manager, Antonio Mayans. Um... Let's see music Daniel White and uncredited camera operator Jess Franco version two I'm sorry the cast and usher um, Antonio Mayans uh, plays Alan Harker Howard Vernon plays Eric Umar Usher Lena Rome plays Maria Usher's housekeeper and mistress Daniel White as Pablo Vila plays Dr. Seward cool Antonio Marin plays Mathis, Usher's manservant. Fata Morgana plays Edmunda Usher, Eric's wife. Anna Galan plays Anna the maid. Jose Lamas plays Adrian the stable boy. Additional cast members are Flavia Mayans as Usher's child victim and Analia Ivers as a prostitute. Um, credits for Neurosis, Revenge in the House of Usher. Um, film by Jess Franco, based on the novel Fall House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Photography, Alan Hardy. Screenplay, H.L. Rostein. Special effects, S.O.I.S. Company. Uh, Daniel Sewer, executive producer. Music, Daniel White. Same. Uh, script, Guru Continuity, Alona Kunsova. Okay. And the cast in Neurosis, Revenge House of Usher, Antonio Mayans as Alan, Hack, Alan Hacker instead of Alan Harker. Olivia Mathot is added as Oliver Mato as Morpho. Herman Vernon, of course, as Dr. Usher. Lena Romay as uh, Maria, the housekeeper. Daniel White as Dan Villers, Dr. Seward. Different credit here instead of Pablo Villas, Dan Villers. Uh, Jose Lamas as Adriana's servant, uh, Jose Latozan, Francois Blanger, and Anila Ivars. Um, so there's a quote here from Edgar Allan Poe from The Fall of the House of Usher. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year when the clouds hung impressively low in the heavens, 
I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself, as the shades of the evening drew on, within view of the melancholy house of Usher. From the fall of House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. All right, synopsis. A young doctor, Alan Harker, is called to the castle abode of his old professor from university, Eric Usher, to help write his memoirs. Harker finds Usher paranoid, confused, and decrepit, living out his last days in loneliness and misery. His only companion is a maid, Maria, and a manservant, Matthias. Harker calls Usher's physician from the village, pardon, Dr. Seward, who quickly informs, pardon me, quickly informs him that Usher does not have much longer to live. That night, Harker hears cries in the castle and wanders the corridors to investigate. He finds blood on the floor. Matthias locked in a dungeon, and Usher crouched over the dead body of a woman he has killed. Horrified, Harker runs away but falls and bangs his head. The next morning he rises from his bed and begins to believe that the events of the night were a dream. However, as Usher tells Harker his life story, he confesses to a string of murders, young women, and in one instance a child. He also claims to be haunted by the spirit of his dead wife. Edmonda. Harker is disgusted by the stories and sets off to leave the castle, but Stuart intervenes and begs him to stay. The old man's stories are nonsense, and Harker's presence can help him in his final hours. However, Stuart is wrong. Usher really is a murderer, and the ghost of his wife, Edmonda, walks the castle. So, all right, <clears throat> production notes. In the autumn of 1982, Jess Franco turned his attention once again to the horror genre and created one of his most experimental, though often derided, films of the period, an extremely loose Edgar Allan Poe adaptation called El Hundamento de la Casa Usher. The project was bankrolled by a short-lived Spanish film firm called Elite Films, nothing to do with Urban Dietrich's Swiss production house who also funded Franco's jungle adventure, uh, El Tesoro de la Dicona Blanca, immediately afterwards, see Diamond of Kilimanjaro. Sadly, such was the ignoble fate of El Hundamento de Casa de Usher that it hastened the demise of Elite, who never financed another film. Yikes. All right. <clears throat> if ever Franco film was at a step with changes in the horror genre, it's Fall House Fusher, a period gothic when the genre was leaning heavily towards contemporary settings, totally bloodless with screens when screens were washed with Tom Savini gore, and cheaply made when audiences' expectations were being stoked by films like Poltergeist and The Thing. It stuck out like a sore thumb when programmed at the Festival de Cine Imaginario y la Cincia Fichon in Madrid in August 1983. This was to be its one public outing, and unfortunately the occasion was not a happy one. Neither for Franco, and nor the film's villainous Mostoro Howard Vernon, who attended the festival and introduced the film. The screening was a disaster. The film was greeted with hostility, impatience, and mocking laughter, leading an ex-exasperated Franco to declare the audience understood nothing of his work. The following day, Spanish newspaper El Pais reported on the screening. Fall of the House of Usher united the audience in their rejection. The laughter, nervous at first, increased as the clumsy narrative which veteran director Jess Franco had boasted about advanced. Earlier, lead actor Howard Vernon addressed a few words to those present, claiming that while he had still not seen Fall of the House of Usher, he admired Franco for working with him on Gritas de Nocho, 1961. His admiration probably declined by now. Spanish director's latest work is not only naive and 
flat and a staggering banality, but seems to consider the audience devoid of the common sense necessary, for example, to identify a well-known castle converted into a luxury hotel as the alleged House of Usher, or to spot a lousy, minimal model of the original mansion that collapses, along with its mysterious and pathetic owner who's lived there for centuries. The dialogue, locations, makeup, and attitude of the characters are straight out of an amateur experiment rather than the work of an expert team of professionals. The audience understood this, jokingly trying to provoke a final applause that could not be sustained. All right, the response might have been less vitrolic if only the critics and the audience had been aware of the incredibly minuscule resources of which the film was made. Franco, who'd worked with a crew on more than a hundred Franco, who'd worked with who who had worked with a crew of more than a hundred on Justine in the sixties shot El Hundimento de la Casa Usher himself with one of the smallest crews of his career, a camera assistant, a makeup person, a prop man, his partner Lena Romay, and the film's co star Antonio DeMayans d- doubling as production manager. Though sounds like about the size of my crew. Uh, though presented to the Frank to the festival alongside more conventionally budgeted movies, no one connected with the Franco film appears to have pointed this out, probably out of pride, and no one else seems to have understood. The laughter and derision blew the film's chance of a cinema release, and so the original 85-minute version of The Fall of the House of Usher disappeared, never to be seen again. But that was not the end of the story. Franco would return to the footage again, first in 1984, and then in 1988, creating two variant editions, a Spanish-language version called Los Cremines de la Usher, and a French-language version for Eurochine called Neurosis, also known as Revenge in the House of Usher. The former surfaced online in the mid-2000s, thanks to a 16mm work print circulated on peer-to-peer sites, while the latter is the version most Franco fans will have seen. It was released in the USA by Wizard Video and picked up for release in the early days of DVD by Image. Let's see here. For For a film that has struggled terribly to find an audience... The Fall of the House of Usher has found, along the way, some tenacious and committed advocates. Tim Lucas described it as Franco's most Wellesian film. There are bits and pieces here from Poe and Stoker, but also from The Trial, Falstaff, Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, and most of all, The Immoral Story. I honestly believe that if Wells had taken the same material and made a movie out of it, he could have passed off the result as some kind of genre-jumping interpretation of King Lear. And thanks to the extraordinary efforts of Brazilian filmmaker Felipe Guerrero, we can actually see today at least two-thirds of Franco's original cut in May 2015 in, consults, in, console, in consolation in consultation with Antonio Mayans and Carlos Aguilar, Guerrero pieced together all the available material belonging to Franco's original version, removing the material peculiar to those Creminus to Usher and Revenge in the House of Usher, and then patching together the remainder while utilizing whatever possible the original Spanish soundtrack. The running time of the fan edit, 67 minutes, is roughly 18 minutes shorter than the version screened in Madrid in 1983. And the picture quality varies drastically. The material is cold from the Revenge DVD and a murky videotaped copy of the 16mm work print. It's the best indication of Franco's original intentions. Hopefully one day the negative will be located and Franco's original cut will arrive on Blu-ray. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Um, Revenge of the House of Usher is Franco's last true gothic horror film, but its appeal is far from universal. The most commonly seen version, Revenge in the House of Usher, is usually condemned by reviewers as cheap, shoddy, and boring, and the original is unlikely to woo those critics either, sharing as it does the same ultra-low budget and very slow pacing. But if you can hone in on the muted, subcooler frequency 
Fall House of Usher is soaked in Franco's strange magic and demonstrates his remarkable skill for making something out of almost nothing. Beautifully lit and immaculately photographed is the tale of a young doctor summoned to a remote castle to transcribe the memoirs of a respected academic Eric Ulmer Usher, whose mind is now beset by ravages of old age. Is he, as he claims, being assailed by vengeful spirits, including the ghost of the wife he seems to have murdered? Or are these apparitions just a symptom of senile dementia, the sad and lonely visions of a man racked by guilt for things he may or may not have done? We cannot be sure. Reality is hard to pin down, as so often in Franco's horror films. The young hero, Alan Harker, Antonio Mayans, looking classically perfect for the role, experiences strange visions of his own when he spends the night at the Usher residence. But are his encounters genuine or simply nightmare imaginings brought on by proximity to the old man's collapsing psyche? Franco does not specify. Harker is left mulling precisely the question as the film ends, and thus we are remain perched at the break between rational and supernatural, where the authentic chill of the uncanny holds sway. This is a slow, haunting gossamer creation, and a last bittersweet visit to the gothic horrors, which so enthralled Franco in his youth. <clears throat> as such, it belongs in the same category as Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, 1971, Dracula's Daughters, 1972, and The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein, 1972. Films with a more fevered approach, but tied to the same roots. It's as though we're seeing two dying embers at the same time. Usher, who is old and crazy and dying, and the genre he represents. There's a tired poignancy to the film's minimalist scenario. Even the cheapness has its place, as if the gaudy furniture of gothic horror has been packed away by time's removal men, leaving only the bare stonework of loneliness and death. Usher looks dwarfed by his cavernous old castle, the corridors and stairways of which seem to mock his human frailty. As in the original story by Poe, Usher's fate is tied to the house. He's a corpse before death, and his home is a mausoleum in waiting. But his problems don't end there. The ghost of his wife, not to mention his previous victims, provide unwanted company in the eschewing vaults of the castle. With only a loyal maid, her stable boy lover, and a devoted but simple-minded manservant for company, Usher has nothing to do except brood over the ghosts of his past. Fall of the House of Usher may be cheaply made, it may lack excitement, it may creak and groan at a slow, slumberous pace that will send many an unsympathetic viewer and even a few believers to sleep. But one thing that no one can criticize is Franco's compositional clarity, the care in which each shot has been created. One could take still images of nearly every camera setup and create a stunning book of photographs that would make the film seem a classic of its kind. It's only really the tissue-thin plot and sluggish editing, the innervating slide into emptiness that accompanies the simplest of actions that lets the film down, even then if you can ease yourself into a rhythm which moves very slowly, image by image, like the grave tick-tock of an antique grandfather clock, you may find the film a hidden, neglected joy, linking skeletal hands with the gothic chillers of Mario Bava, Edgar J. Ulmer, F.W. Murnau, and Todd Browning. Music. The soundtrack varies depending on which version you watch. The best-known variant, Revenge in the House of Usher, uses a Daniel White Library track called La Folie de Neron. From, uh, For the opening credits sequence, <coughs> White recorded at least two more variations of the piece, one of which appears on the same LP. Uh, da, 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 da. During the final scenes of the Usher Castle collapsing, Eurochine versions make good use of the frenzied apocalypse no from White's mood music selections uh, guitar okay. locations House of Usher itself inside and out is the Casilio de Santa Catalina overlooking the Spanish city of Jaén in Andalusia it is now a luxurious four star hotel and remains instantly recognizable connections uh, Franco's visualization of the House of Usher is surprisingly faithful to Poe's text. The room in which I found myself was very large and lofty. 
the windows were long, narrow, and pointed, and at so vast a distance from the black oaken floor as to be altogether inaccessible from within, feeble gleams of incrisom light made their way through the chevelsed panes and served to render sufficiently distant the more prominent objects around. The eye, however, struggled in vain to reach the remoter angles of the chamber or the recesses of the vaulted and fretted ceiling. When it comes to subtext, however, Franco diverges enormously. Most surprisingly, for some reason, he has decided against the subtle and, to be fair, academically disputed implications of incest in the story. In fact, he effaces it by making Usher's significant female other his wife, rather than, as Poe does, his sister. Usher's young visitor, Alan Harker, Hacker, and the English dub, draws us back toward Bram Stoker, as does the visiting physician, Dr. Stewart, here divested of anything like heroism and left to eke out his retirement as a visiting quack in an obscure Spanish coastal town. Uh, Crimes of Usher spreads its elusive nest more widely. A shot we seem framed in an oval window of Usher murdered a child quotes Murnau's Nosferatu and its accomplished use of shadow. Usher himself becomes an amalgamation of several Franco-stock characters. He's a mad doctor, a psychic interloper, a killer of prostitutes, a deranged patriarch, and a deed of vampire. There are no fangs, there are no transformation to bat, but in a single cloaked figure, he combines many of Franco's villainous shadow dwellers. <clears throat> Dr. Orloff, Jack the Ripper, the erotic writes of Frankenstein's Caligistro, Hot Knights of Linda's patriarch Paul Raddick, and of course, Count Dracula himself. In addition, Usher's background as a doctor drummed out of profession for unethically experiments harkens back to diabolical Dr. Z, and she killed in ecstasy. Uh, let's see... So the other versions, I'm not going to go into all of that because there's a lot of stuff where they go about every shot and what scenes different between all three versions. That's kind of crazy, but we'll go through some of it before we go into all the other stuff. All right, in other versions, in July 1984, Franco invited Howard Vernon back to Spain to star in an espionage thriller called V Head at Bangkok often included. With the actor at his disposal, he also suggested shooting new material for the unreleased Usher, and Vernon happily agreed. Thus, Crim's Usher was born, in the hopes that a movie more overtly horror approach might succeed where the original version had not, Freku devised three additional scenes, two in which Usher attacks young women, linking him to Dracula and Jack the Ripper, and one in which he kills a child, establishing a thing to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sandwiched into the film as reminisce shared by Usher with his biographer Alan Harker, these scenes are framed as confessions along the lines of the less shocking omissions in the original. This time, Usher is depicted as sort of a ghoulish serial killer. Every once in a while, the bloodlust takes over and he roams the streets looking for victims to stake his interest. For reasons that are still unclear, Crimes of Usher failed to find distribution, making it the only version of the film never to have been shown or released officially. Fortunately, a work print had snuck onto the collector's circuit in recent years, and while it's scratchy and covered in editor's pencil marks, we can at least see what Frank was trying to achieve. The new material is gathered into three main sequences. Um, go in each one. Okay. Um, it's a shame that Crimes of Usher is so rarely seen because it's the additional scenes of Vernon giving him a fantastic performance as one of Franco's most wicked and repulsive monsters. The knife-licking scenes are truly repellent. The elderly Usher, gloating and slavering as he gobbles down waffles of blood, looks in some weird, contorted way like a demented baby absorbed in the joy of his obsessive feeding. It's probably the most horrible facial expressions yet seen in a Franco film, and it reminded me of two things. Carab's tortured forced performance of a murdering pedophile in Thinderness of the Wolves, and John Dugan as Grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. In 1988, Yorchin Majordomo Marios Lesur bought the rights to the film, but demanded a complete rethink of the material. Perceiving a link to the company's first big hit with Franco and Vernon, the awful Dr. Orloff, Lesur insisted on incorporating footage from that film as flashbacks to Usher's past, along with new scenes and dialogue designed to swerve the plotline into Orloff territory. The fact that these flashbacks were in black and white did not deter him. The arrangement was just like old times, as with Mirab's scene in Hot Nights of Linda back in East 73. Franco reluctantly agreed to direct the new scenes because he knew that if he didn't, Eurochine would simply pay someone else to do so. 
for the material. Eurochine regular Olivia Mathot was drafted in to play Usher's servant Morpho, and Francois Blanchard played Orloff's catatonic daughter Melissa. Those scenes depicting Morpho carrying bodies into a suburban chapel where Melissa lies waiting for her blood transfusions were shot in a basement jazz club in Paris called Le Caveau de la Hochette. Despite the effort, she revives for just a few seconds each time. For years, Franco had shown Orloffian madmen struggling to revive catatonic donors, wives, mothers, using skid drafts plus transfusions. Lovely. Um, it's a shame that Howard Vernon was not around to see it. The resulting image is less than successful artistically, undermining the integrity of Franco's original vision, but at least it made it onto video, turning up as Neurosis in France, uh, Revenge of the House of Usher in the USA. However, by 88, the days of cinema releases for such off-the-wall exploitation items were over. Problematica. Both Zombie 5 and Revolt of the House of Usher have long been cited as alternative titles on IMDb, but despite regular searches, I have been unable to find evidence that these titles ever applied to Franco's film, with the exception of a U.S. video release bearing the title Revenge in the House of Usher with the words Zombie 5 in small letters beneath. Was this ever used as a top-line retitling? I've yet to see evidence. Note, Killing Birds, Raptors, uh, was released on DVD in the USA as Zombie 5 with Robert Vaughn. All right. Well, that was in there. Okay, good. So that's the... Uh, so that's what he's got written up here on this film. So, not bad. Not as much as I thought he had. So, um, cool. Uh, give you all this stuff on that. Um, let's see what we got here. All right. So, if you want to get a hold of us, please do so. You can reach us at uh, francoobserver at yahoo.com. Please download the episodes and please subscribe. Uh, you can find us on all your favorite listening platforms. Uh, what else we got here? Um, you can find us on um, SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts and all the other podcasts that you find or uh, listening platforms you find us on. Uh, like I said, please download, please subscribe, uh, please watch Lady Hyde on 2B TV or Amazon Prime or Moment 2. Uh, what else do I want to say? Um, of course, every Wednesday, a new episode drops. Catch us then. And uh, if you subscribe, you'll get those episodes all the time. And if you want to donate, there's a donate button on the Red Circle main page for the podcast. So feel free to do that. Uh, we also have pages on Facebook and Instagram under the Franco Observer podcast. So you can find us there. And uh, yeah, so check that out. Follow Desperate Visions and... Uh, be on the lookout for all these new films so all right thanks for hanging out and uh hang out past the break the bumper music and you'll hear my review for the fall of the house of usher witness noches maha All right, buddies, we are back with the review for Jess Franco's Fall the House of Usher slash Neurosis, uh, or Revenge in the House of Usher, actually. Um, I don't know really what to say. This is going to be the, one of the oddest reviews that I've given on any Jess Franco film because, I mean, to be honest with you, I really didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. Um... I was interested to see where it was going to go. Um, it's got really good dialogue. Um, I like to be, I like to give all the positives always first. I, the dialogue was cool. Um, now I kind of want to read House of Usher or Fall House of Usher and, and see what was taken from there and what was Franco, because there are some really good lines. Like there's a line where Harker's kind of doesn't know if he's um, had a vision of what he saw or if it really happened or what was going on, and he's just kind of in a daze and doesn't know what to think about things. Alina goes, it's the mountain fever. It's spread by the winds. 
causes you a headache and then craziness or something like that. It's just really good. I like that. It was mountain fever spread by the winds. It's, something like that's really good. There's good dialogue. There's some really nice shots in this. Really, really cool. Uh, far away. Bottom of staircases, top of staircases. Looking in windows. Looking through reflections and the entrances. Some really good stuff in here. And really good acting by Howard Vernon. Howard Vernon's really good. He's a lot older, of course, than the newer scenes they filmed. But uh, the version I saw. So this is weird because... I had a copy. I have a DVD-R copy that's supposedly The Fall of the House of Usher, 1983, in French with English subtitles. And it says, Reconstructed version that Franco originally wanted to release. Instead, Eurochin butchered it and then added scenes from the awful Dr. Orloff. This is as close to the original version as can be currently be viewed. The original version of this film, The Fall of the House of Usher, was shown only once in a fantastic film fest in Madrid. The bad reception from the public decreed the commercial death of the movie, forcing the director to shoot additional scenes that created two new, completely different versions. Only the third version is available on DVD. Enjoy this rarity. So, this version claimed to be, like, a reconstructed version of the first, or maybe a second version. And when you put it in and watch it, it says, Fall the House of Usher. But, as I watch Neurosis... Earlier, uh, which is weird because I watched the Blu-ray of it, or I tried to watch the Blu-ray of it through Redemption, and I have an all-region DVD player or Blu-ray player, and I set it up to Region A, put in another Region A disc, no problem. I put this in, and it says you must have a Region A player set to Region A, which I kept doing over and over and over again, so I couldn't view it. So instead, I uh, viewed um, Neurosis on the Kino Cult streaming service. And as uh, I watch it, I realize that it's a slightly different version uh, of what I watched. Um, But it's pretty much the same, except the version I watched, it starts off with old Usher killing a woman with his cane. And this version doesn't have that at all. It starts off with the woman getting brought in to be uh, drained of blood. So um, they actually cut out a few of the beginning scenes, but it still has the old footage from Dr. Orloff quite a bit toward the end, which is padded quite a bit uh, on like the the second or the the final third of the film, uh, maybe second half, final third. So uh, it's interesting. So it is a different cut than this neurosis, but it's very similar um, because they have all the stuff in the in the uh, cellar. And they have um, uh, more of the kills and everything. So, um, and that version is by A.M. Johnson, and uh, this version says it's by uh, I forgot who the one they call it A.M. Something, a different name on this. It doesn't say. I might say in the book, but that's okay. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's it's interesting the different. Uh, so I guess the version that I watched was the second version, which was probably the DVD that was Fall the House of Usher or Revenge of the House of Usher, whatever they want to call it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's cool that he tried to do a ground Poe, except, like I talked about in the beginning, his timing was way off. Um, the way he released it, you know, he should have waited a few years before or waited a few years after. But if you waited a few years after, he might not have had the opportunity. Um, yeah, just the timing, the year was was all wrong. Um it's a very cheap production, um, even by Franco standards. Uh, but of course, it's Euro scene, and they're notoriously cheap. Um, like he had said on this film, it's probably the seven or eight actors, and then maybe four crew. So very, very small for something that's supposed to be a Edgar Allan Poe piece in a giant castle type thing and everything. So I, I don't know. Um, the lighting's not the best on this. They use one light, and these, a lot of the leads are washed out, um, especially Howard Vernon. As I'm watching this now, his his face I, he wears a like a white makeup, but with the white of uh, the light, it really washes him out. You barely can see his face in it. Um, so yeah, there's just kind of bad production values. Um, parts of it look good, parts of it don't. It's just it's just overall very uneven, which is kind of the course of the film. Uh, as in, there's some interesting ideas. A lot of rehashing of concepts, but the pace is very slow, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just kind of boring. It's just uh, 
I don't know. They they, they needed to add either. I don't know. I would say my advice would have been to maybe trim the running time, maybe um, add add some more action, or or I don't know, be a little more add just fixer of music because I don't know maybe the classical music. I I, I just know I have no idea. It's just uh, what's what's the problem with this film? Um, of course, nudity. Uh, there's very very little nudity, which is interesting for a Franco film. I think like the first nudity in the version I watched was about like 33 minutes in, which is like almost rare, but I mean, it's a ground Poe, but I think he could have spiced it up. He, he could have put, um, more of an interesting subplot in or, or added cause I mean, it's not faithful from what I can assume. So he could have done some more oddity stuff or I don't know. He just could have went and done some different, um, subtext or subplots to add some kind of, uh, spice to this film. So I don't know. It's, um, it's really hard to recommend. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's parts that are okay. It's, it's not because you look at it. It's got Howard Vernon. It's got Antonio Mayans. They both look cool when you can see them, but it's just very badly photographed. Um, the shadows are nice and the locations are nice, but they, they could have had an extra fill light to bring in some of the depth of the face. Um, Vernon, I don't know. Vernon's good, but there's some scenes where he's very, he looks very old and he looks very kind of, um, I don't know, very not as strong as he used to be. So it's just like you kind of get a, a lesser version of him, which is kind of sad. But um, and even Lena's not the greatest in this. She's more of a like a fourth type character. So she's she's not really as the servant. She's not really strong in this film. So it's another reason why um, when Lena's not as strong in the Franco films, they're not as good. So I don't know. Um, there's parts of it, like here I'm watching, he's like in his bed waking up, having the visions, and this looks like a Franco shot, but then it goes to the older aesthetic. So they, they crisscross quite a bit, which is might be a detriment because they need to stay with the same style. Um, like this bedspread is the stripes. I don't know if they would be have that for that time. And his pants look a little more modern. So I don't know, whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. This is uh, probably in my lower five or ten of the Franco films I've seen. I know there's going to be some stinkers coming up, but uh, yeah, it looks like this is not one that I can really recommend. So um, let me go through the Franco list and uh, see what is on there, which is another thing about this film. There's really not a lot on the Franco list either, which is kind of another reason why it's an oddity. But also, too, I don't grade that on that as well because I do like things that are totally different from people as well and things, if it doesn't fit in there, framework or things that's never a bad thing either so keep that in mind all right the franco list this week is of course the 30 items that i see or try to relate to every franco film some uh i don't know if i ever had 30 for 30 <laughs> not like the spn show but uh if all of them came up 100 percent, but there's been some 90 something percents quite a few times and some down low to 40s and 50s which may be this case so let's go through the franco List. All right. Number one, body of water. Yeah, we see one right at the very beginning when he's traveling by horse uh, to the house of Usher. Uh, we see just in the background very, uh, very uh, quickly, not too much. So, yeah, we see that there. Uh, number two, sailboat. No sailboats in this. Uh, three, boats of any kind. No boats. Uh, number four, palm trees. No palm trees, just mountains. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Nope, no jungle sound effects. No jungles in this film at all. Uh, number six, chained up person. Yes, there's quite a few in this. Uh, in the new footage, of course, you have the women that are chained up in the cellar, the three women, um, that are, of course, dressed and on nude. <laughs> um, and then you have number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. It's one of the few films that doesn't have a strip tease, a stripping in a club or anything like that, so that would be no. Number eight, club scenes, dancing slash bar. Nope, no bars, no hanging out of bars, talking to the bartender, no using the bar to meet up characters. There's no bars at all, no club scenes. Number nine, jazz music. Well, no bars, no dancing, no fun, no jazz. So, yeah, just all kind of classical uh, and string instruments on this film. Very mood music for the time, which is fine if it's what it is. 
Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Number 11, out-of-focus shots. No on those two. Uh, some zooms out, but it makes sense for his zooms on this. Uh, no out-of-focus. He takes his time actually shooting this, I would guess. I don't know the time frame on this, because, of course, all the other... Um, the other two um, reshoots that he did later on this, um, so you can t- tell that he had extra time. But uh, yeah, as I'm watching the scene here, the three women chained up in the cellar. They're of course all dressed, which is weird for a Franco film. <laughs> Yet three girls chained up and they're all dressed. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, number twelve mirror shots. Yeah, there's a really cool mirror shot in the version I watched. I don't know about Neurosis, but where Usher first comes to the castle and they open the door to greet him. There's a nice mirror uh, that you see the doorway reflected into and him walking in, and it's very cool. And there's about one or two other ones in the film, but uh, that first one's the best. Uh, Number 13, mind control theme. Yes, definitely for sure. Uh, He controls Morpho and uh, the people to drain the blood. So yeah, he controls controls his servant. Uh, where are we at? Number 18, fish tank shots, no. 19, talking parrots, no. 20, uh, end credits, yes, on the version I watched. Uh, 21, handwritten notes, like any kind of like handwritten signs with arrows or anything cheesy. Nope, nothing like that in this. Uh, number 22, spiral staircase. Yeah, there's a one that curves around. It's not like the tight little spiral staircase you see in apartments in the 70s that was... Uh, reflected over and over and over again, especially the Dietrich films. There's always that one tight spiral staircase from one floor to the second. But in this one, you have the castle where the staircase kind of goes down and then over and then down. It's not as much as a spiral as in a square, but it still curves down. So maybe half. Uh, number 23, uh, inept cops. No, there's no cops in this, no law, nothing like that. 24 belly chains nope wrong era it's all house of usher very gothic and all that so no uh 25 kinks well i guess there's uh kidnapping women and necrophilia and uh like incest with the daughter angle and uh usher so all that uh number 26 um what is this great headboards not really just some interesting headboards nothing fantastic 27, fear or desire. I'd say desire, because he desires his daughter to be alive and to, you know, uh, come back and all that stuff. So, yeah. And uh, let's see, what else? 28, acoustic guitar player. No, nothing in that. No acoustic guitars back then for this film. 29, reading a book scene. Well, we have uh, Usher reading some notes, I guess, in his castle. And uh, that's really about it on this. But no books that I caught. There's books all around and everything, the library and all that. But And finally, number 30, pee scene. Is there anybody saying they have to go take a pee or they're peeing or talking about peeing? Uh, no, nothing like that. So that would be quite a few no's on this. So I'd say out of 30, we only have uh, one, uh, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven yeses, and then, of course, Uh, out of 29 because one is fear desire so yeah very interesting a lot of no's on this so this is another thing that doesn't fit in the canon so we'll see how that is yeah different different film for franco um i don't know if you like uh if you like kind of slow you know well-dressed gothic looking atmospheric type uh i don't know something to look at i guess it's okay it's not offensive or anything. Actually, of all of his films, the least offensive. There's just some kidnapping and blood draining and, uh, you know, strangulation and stuff. Very little. Very, almost no gore. Um, it's more just a lot of talking and a lot of the atmosphere, the castle hallways and the shadows and the capes and the kind of, you know, old school stuff. Even the people just really basic makeup, just, you know, lipstick and pancake makeup on the face, stuff like that. A lot of frills, frilly collars, frilly sleeves, a lot of candles, you know, basic stuff. So, yeah, it's it's something to watch, but I don't know. It's sad, but uh, could have been a lot better. There's a lot of ways I think they could have spruced it up, could have added a, a monster, could have done... Because on this version, they kind of mix like a Dracula angle and a Dr. Doctor, uh, Doctor Orloff angle and of uh, uh, the uh, Usher, I think it's Harold Usher, I forgot the Usher's 
Professor Ush or whatever. So those three, but I think they would have added more to the vampire or made him drink blood or added a monster in the basement or I don't know, something they could have made this a lot better. Definitely added some more nudity, had some uh, experiments or, I don't know, done something more interesting. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. So we have this outlook and output, which is admired by some. I know this film has some of its fans and a lot of them don't. So we'll see how it is. I'm not really a fan of it, but I'm still give it a chance if I can watch the uh, audio commentary if I ever get this damn Blu-ray working. So we'll see. Alrighty, well, this is going to be an interesting episode, a shorter one. Um, I know we've done some 90-minute ones recently, and they're close to it. So this will be a shorter one, probably uh, less than an hour. So, yeah, uh, that's it on that. So I will say that uh, on the live front, uh, filming's going good on She Knows Feratu. Um that's this cool shot in this film. They show the kind of castle and the painting. Uh, but uh, yeah, the film is going good on She Knows Feratu. Uh, we're about halfway, I don't know, uh, we're about a third through shooting. Um, and we're having uh, Emmanuel in Sin City playing in, Ju- in June, I'm sorry, June, in January of 2023 at uh, the Dreamland Cinema in Sacramento, California. So that should go good. And uh, She Knows Feratu, I'm guessing maybe summertime. Hopefully, uh, uh, or fall maybe of uh, twenty twenty three, and then I'm also going to think about another film that I want to do before the end or in twenty twenty three as well. So, yeah, we'll have about try to do about two a year, three a year. That'd be kind of cool. So, uh, if you care to inquire about Desperate Visions, or if you're an uh, actor or producer or talent of any kind, filmmaker, uh, musician. Um, anything like that, and you care to inquire about upcoming films or anything, you can get a hold of us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com or at uh, DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Send me emails and uh, give a shout-out, talk to me, and uh, we'll see what up. So, alrighty, well, thank you once again for listening to another weekly episode of the Franco Observer podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, and I bid you a good day or a good night, whatever time you are listening to this. Either ways, buenas noches, maha. Mwah.